for some more Wheel of Time TV show action? Are you ready for a manicure? Maybe uh, get a little trim above the neck? In this episode, Tarvalon Talks is going to be diving into episode 5 and exploring how everybody truly and deeply wants Rand. Spoiler warning, this episode will contain spoilers for both the TV show and the book series. So I might remind you again, if you've made it to episode 5, why are you here if you have not been reading or watching? So go, shoot, get off and go get yourself caught up before you listen to this show. So here's myself, Thad, Dahl, and Diana, and we will be diving into episode 5, Demane, of season 2 of Wheel of Time on Prime. Yay. <laughs> this episode was not as painful as I thought it was going to be until the very end, which we will get there, but an yeah. episode called Demane was not as uh, Demane-esque as I thought it was going to be. Not as focused on Demane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, you know, honestly, that's fine. Yeah. With more of a, a destination. Yes. Instead of the journey, we got the destination. Yes. And boy, did we get it. Yep. We we definitely do. I believe we also end this episode with the Sean Chan, but we definitely start with the Sean Chan. Like, we pan over Falm. Um, we see the Sean Chan fleet, which is quite impressive. It's very clear that Falm is, like, a city and under occupation. And then we cut to Suroth, her voice, and Ishamayel walking up to Turok, who is sitting on a throne. Um, and we also see Ingtar and Loyal, and they're slaves of Suroth and her and Ishamayel, which is deeply upsetting. I did not recognize Ingtar at first. Of course, I didn't recognize him before, so... I didn't either, <laughs> but... I mean, the only reason I knew it was him is because he was standing next to Loyal. Yeah, well, I knew, I knew it when Suroth said it. <laughs> It's remarkable what a change of clothes will do to a person. And a, a new, like, he has, like, a, the um, the Dokhov, like, gold headpiece thing that they have on over him. And he's he is hard to recognize. The, on my first watch through, I didn't recognize it was him immediately. And then I was looking for it the second time I watched. I think it's also because he's lacking the top knot. Yeah. Yeah. Did they shave his top knot? Yeah, I guess they did. Either they did or they just let his hair down. I mean, I, I guess they would have because it would have looked too much like high blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of the high blood, um, we see a bunch of them in this scene and they you can see all of their scars from when they're shaved, mm -hmm. which is a really cool detail that they did not have to leave in the show. But like uh, the costuming team for the Sean Chan just continues to really know their stuff and really be going off in terms of like the level of detail that is in the costumes for all of the Sean Chan. Yeah. We learn that Turok is the one who is uh, in charge of the return this time around, which that's not book accurate, right? He is. He's the head at Falm. Right. When they make landfall and Lady Suroth is like, she's not like under him. I forget how the, the Shan Shan hierarchy works. She's a lower, lower in class. Yeah, she's a lower in class, but she's not like completely subservient to him. And this isn't the return yet. This is the forerunners. The Helene comes in after Falm. Because mm -hmm. I think they called him the head of the Helene. Did they? Yeah. In the soundtrack, this is called the Helene. Or the, the Sean Chan song is called the Helene. Okay. Let me pull it up. I have to remember, because I feel like they, this was just like their first forerunners. And then the Helene came when Tuan showed up. 
this is being called the Helene in the show, though, because the, the Sean Chan theme is is the Helene is labeled the Helene in the soundtrack. It's a minor detail. Like, it's a really sort of silly not to consider it all. But technically, the head of the Helene was Tuan right. before they found out that her mother died. That makes sense. Yeah. Which they do, they do kind of name drop her here. Yes, they did mention the daughter of the Nine Moons. They mentioned the Empress. They don't mention the daughter of the Nine Moons. I thought they said something about the Nine Moons. They said the Empress and her court of the Nine Moons. And they also don't say may she live forever. And I was really annoyed by that. I missed that. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if it's in, it's not in this scene, is it? I think it's later on. I think it's when Ishamayel is talking to Turok. He says that like, it's like the Empress and her court of the Nine Moons. But Ishamayel doesn't say may she live forever, which it's Ishamayel. So it's kind of okay that he gets that wrong. He doesn't really care. I don't, yeah, I don't think he cares enough. No, clearly not. Um, but back to the beginning, back to the cold open. Um, Sarath is uh, clear is very clearly in a like state of shame. She's ordered to kneel and then banned from court until she is presentable, which means that until her nails have grown all the way back, and a soldier cuts her long two like pointer and middle finger nails off with their sword. Is the ring is the ring finger in the. Little finger. I thought it was these two. Is it? She goes like this. I can't remember. Okay, maybe. It's the first two, because they like to do this a lot. Yeah. I, I had there's something popped into my head that's completely inappropriate. I'm not going to <laughs> go there. Those are the worst two fingers to have fingernails on. Well, she got she got a nice manicure, so. In order to keep this podcast PG-13, I'm not going to comment more on that. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> why I'm trying to keep my tongue. But you are not wrong, doll. No. <laughs> that's what they have Doc called for, you know? It's fine. Yeah. Oh. Oh, true. <laughs> it's fine. Children, if you don't know what we're talking about, don't worry about it. You'll figure it out later. <laughs> this is beyond pillow friends talk, by the way. No, it's totally different. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I did think it was interesting that when Turk told her to kneel, she looked at Shamayo before she did, and he said kneel. Yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, um, uh, you're really f- like broadcasting that this guy is actually the one who you think is in charge. A little too obvious. <laughs> I feel like that's more of a play to the audience than, you know. It was, but it was extremely obvious. And even the Shamayo was like, just kneel. Just, just do just it. Do it. Yeah. As Shamayel comments later, Saroth does not seem like one for subtlety. So <laughs> she doesn't. Not surprising that she did that out in the open. After she is then like sent away, Ishamayel uh, says that he's going to give Turok a gift and Pat and Fane and his whistle just stroll up with a box that Turok immediately recognizes as the Horn of Valir. I don't understand how. I don't either. But he's like, he's like, ah, the Horn of Valir. I'm like, you have not even opened this yet. But maybe the Sean Chan records are a lot better maybe. than the Westland records. Maybe it's like the Ark of the Covenant. You know what it's supposed to look like from the records. And they're just lost in the Western lands. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah. And then Turok also seems to know how to open the box without any, like, he doesn't need to consult anybody. Um, just opens it and it pops open and we see like a little hint of the horn. We don't actually see it, but we see like a little gold thing in the box. Yeah. And then we get the snake eating its own tail. Anything else from this gold open that you guys want to talk about? I think you covered just about everything. Yeah, you pretty much got it all. Cool. Yeah, the thing with Ishamayo was the one I wanted to point out. Pat and Fane and Ishamayo also exchange a look, if I remember right. And like, it's definitely a look of like, equals like it didn't seem like pat and fane was like being subservient to ishamayel and like of course he's not because it's pat and fane he just sauntered in he wasn't 
subservient to anybody. He just sauntered in mm-hmm. and presented it like he was, you know, auctioning off something. He's like, look at what I brought you. And Yeah. So how, how do you feel that they did it this way instead of in the book to where it is just Padden Fane presenting the Horn of Elyr to Tarak? To me, it always felt like in the book that he was at his most golem at this point with presenting it to Tarak. And he is, you know, having a conversation with himself about how he's going to basically kill everybody and get what he's after. I think I like them having Ishamil and Pat and Fane be working together for the moment. Like, I, I like that they're kind of hiding the, like, Pat and Fane turn to a different type of evil a little bit. I think it works well. Yeah. He's still very mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, he's a bad guy. And like, he he was in the Dark Friend social in the first episode. Mm-hmm. So it does make sense that like he and Ishamael are working together or that he's like still working for Ishamael right now-ish or at least pretending to. So I think it works fine. Also, um, Ishamael is like very clearly taking the place of Semarag because Semarag was the Forsaken who is uh, with the Shan Chan army or Empress uh, in the books. Oh, yeah. I think they're sort of splitting that, too. There's a line later on that he says that makes me think that they're going to give Lanfear some of Simrog's characteristics as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, which, if they are, then it does make sense that she would be the most feared of the Forsaken. Exactly. As I said last <laughs> episode, Semarag is the really scary one. <laughs> But also, given a line that Lanfear says later, it's pretty clear we're not getting Samarag in the show, which is fine. She's one of my favorite Forsaken, but I wouldn't consider her like super plot relevant. Mm-mm. No, I guess it makes sense to narrow the Forsaken down. It's a lot. There's too many. There's too many for a TV show. Let's be real. We can't just bellfire them all. Also, like especially with them, like keep coming back. Like there was, there's too many in the books. Like let them die. <laughs> I mean, a couple of them don't even appear until like halfway through the series. So, mm-hmm. and then there's Damage Red who just sends the entire book series in another continent. Yeah, right. You hear from him like, all right. So let's not let's not spoil too terribly far ahead. We don't want to get people too terribly mad, but let's just say that. Demandred is uh, MIA yep. currently. Yep, Demandred is is doing doing stuff. Uh, we'll hear from him later. <laughs> so after the cold open is done and the we get the logo, um, then we cut to Rand and Moiraine running away from Lanfear, uh, basically like stumbling down a mountainside in the middle of a thunderstorm. Uh, Moiraine is properly freaked out, which is understandable. <laughs> she's in a completely you done goofed mood. Yeah, she's like, oh, I screwed up. <laughs> Rand, we gotta run. And Rand is like, but I need an explanation. It's like, Rand, no, save your breath. Like, you gotta run, bro. (laughs) Explanations later. Like, what more explanation do you need? That was land fear you were banging. Maybe run away. And then we go to Lanfear, who um, is like still gushing blood out of her throat, um, like fingers her the wound on her um, chest, like touches her neck. She is very clearly annoyed. Yeah. About being killed by Moiraine. <laughs> she calls her a bitch. <laughs> she calls her a bitch. She like sits up. Um, yeah, she sits up. You see. No, wait, I'm trying to remember the order of things. Her wounds are slowly closing the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, we get the close-up of the saw in her eyes. Yeah, which looks great. I'm really glad that they did that close-up for the people who couldn't really see it in episode four. Yeah. Like, it was cool to be hinted at in episode <laughs> four. Yes, like, that is gesturing to himself. <laughs> uh, but this is really like, no, look, the saw are there. And, like, that's super cool. And then we see tendrils of, like, black power. 
come and surround her and then all of her wounds are healed and she's totally fine. At first I thought that was blood. Mm. Like I thought the blood was like going back into her and then I was like, oh. It kind of did because when she sat up off right. the floor, there was no blood. Yeah. yeah. This is our first glimpse of the true power. And I was like, if if we have, if any show person or book person has any doubt whether or not this landed, immediately my husband turns to me and is like, but there's no version of the one power that's pure black. You said like you didn't put, and I was like, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> so for show only people, this works. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. He, he was very confused. He was like, what's happening? And I was like, she's doing something different. I don't know. He also didn't think it was like Sidene. He was he was very clear that this was like a pure black power, which was interesting to him. Yeah, yeah, because we haven't seen Sidene. Well, I mean, we've seen it in the previews being channeled. We saw it a couple of times. No, we saw it a couple episodes ago. Yeah, Rand has channeled a couple of times. Did it show the corruption? around it when he did it uh, it's harder to see it was this very around. fast it was very fast you don't see it as much on rand as you did when Logan channel yeah yeah and that's that's what i was kind of alluding to is we you know we saw it creeping along in season mm-hmm. one when it was still white and it was the black covering it but we haven't seen too much of like outside of ishamile freeing land fear and then rand basically vaporizing that fade we haven't seen too terribly much this season yeah, and it's visible in that episode, but it is very dark when he vaporizes the fade, so it's really hard to see. It is also slightly visible when he pins Moiraine against the wall and is more visible there because he's channeling air. Uh-huh. And so, and like that's in episode four, so it's slightly more visible. But also, Rand has a tendency to channel in like short bursts and like mm-hmm. not use a ton of weaves, so it's hard to channel or hard to see. I wonder wh- how they're going to show it more and like as the episodes progress because i have a feeling we're gonna get rand channeling some serious stuff in episode seven or eight i hope well i would hope i would think that i would think (laughs) so it's not to jump too far ahead but since this season is going to cover most of book two and three i assume at this point we've got three episodes left and we haven't seen any movement towards tear yet we're still we're about to hit fall the big thing in fall i want to talk about that at the end of the episode of of our podcast episode because i also have questions okay (laughs) and it is in my notes Okay, so we'll put a pin in that and we'll come back later. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually going to put a note right now. Uh, where is Tyr? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Lanfear, like, she stands up, she puts on her cloak, and as she leaves the cabin, she has a whole new outfit on. And I, this is her, she has dropped the Mirror of Mists, which I think is what she was attempting to do when Moiraine stabbed her in the first episode, oh. or in episode four. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I did not notice that. Yeah, she has like a whole new dress on. It's like black. It's much uh, like fancier. She does look like a noble lady. Um, like she's she is embracing her daughter of the night ness. We will see more of later. Yes, yes. She's no longer doing in her Moiraine cosplay phase, as I like to call it, <laughs> where she's wearing all blue. <laughs> That's funny. Then we get back to Moiraine and Rand. They find this like random stable in the middle of nowhere. I'm assuming it like a crossroads or something. I don't know. They don't they don't go into it too much. The x-ray just said Kinslayer's dagger for the whole thing. Mm. So Yeah. I don't know. Some some random really unfortunate lady, <laughs> poor lady, oh, who has this stable. Uh Moiraine is like, Hi, I'm taking two of your horses or three of your horses, two for us, and you're coming with us. I'm commandeering them and she waves her ring in her face. Like mm-hmm. I don't think that has the power you think it has. Well, it works. Uh, also, Moiraine kills one of the horses. <laughs> she just flat out murders it. Just just <laughs> gruesomely, brutally just 
slits its throat and you're just like, what the? Again with Rand's sword. Like, really, Rand, keep your sword away from my range. She's stabbing many people with it. I legitimately went, what the? When it, when she killed the horse, I was like, what? What, what was it? She said they, uh, she can't give her. She can't give her any lead. Yeah, we can't give her an advantage. Like, she has to she has to hamper Lanfear as much as possible. Yeah. They could have just taken the horse with them. <laughs> Maybe, uh, yeah. I mean, especially because this doesn't stop Lanfear at all. No. Like, Lanfear shows up probably, like, 20 minutes later, sees that the horse is dead, and is like, ugh whatever um like she's so just like annoyed she's not even like oh darn what do i do now she calls more and clever yeah but like the way that you would talk about like a child yes yeah she's like <laughs> which is what she like legit the way she views the Aes Sedai they're children that don't understand anything yeah absolutely um also Moirian at this point racking up a lot of reasons for Lanfear to hate her in a very short amount of time <laughs> It's good for later. Yes. I really, normally I do not like uh, women on women fights in media. Marvel, stop it. But if we get a Moiraine versus Lanfear fight, (laughs) I will be so into it. I mean, we have to, assuming they're going to, you know, fall through the door. Yeah. Right? I mean, yes. Or something. Yeah. I'm very excited for it. It will be one of the few times where I will be okay with it because they're like clearly setting them up as these like rivals essentially for Rand's soul. So I'm into it. This man comes by and is like, oh, like he sees Lanfear and he's like, oh, my lady, can I help you? And she's just, I, I assume this man is this woman's, the woman's husband. Or I think they're on a road. So maybe he's just a random person. Could be. To quote a Disney movie, poor, unfortunate soul. Yep. Yeah. In my notes, I said, oh, no, poor man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Poor man, indeed, because Lanfear beheads him just really casually. Not even beheads him. She pops his head like a hot cherry tomato on a hot summer day (laughs) with a wave of a hand. (laughs) Such a beautiful metaphor. Like she just waves his hand and his head is just gone. Yeah. Just goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) And like at that point I was like, oh my God, this is like, we've had someone get knelt on a spike in broad daylight and this episode is already more graphic than that. Like, holy heck. Watered a horse and then we pop somebody's head. Plus, Lanfear just like bleeding out on the ground within the first like five minutes. Like, right. this episode is super graphic. Oh, God, five minutes. But wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's just stick with Lanfear and, and Rand and Moiraine for the moment. But before she blows his head up, she does ask him where the road leads. Uh, that's right. And what does he say? Tarvalon. Because all roads lead to Tarvalon. All roads lead to Tarvalon. <laughs> mm hmm. <laughs> I, I I don't know if that was an intentional nod to season one, but I liked it. Well, I think that is a saying in the book. That is a saying in the books. But that's not how roads work. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny because then he's like, what happened to your horse? And she's like. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm not explaining myself to you. Goodbye, your dad. She takes the horse. She goes down the road. And she passes a portal stone Mm -hmm. in the forest, which is how we know that they're close to Tarvalon, because all of the portal stones that we've seen have been close to Tarvalon. And we see that she's whipping the horse with channeling, which is this was the channeling that I saw in the episode preview for season for for this episode that came at the end of episode four. I assumed that that had been Moiraine. And that was why I assumed that she got her ability to channel back. But 
It's Lanfear. Oops. They look so similar. I mean, yeah. Don't tell Lanfear that. I mean, she's literally she literally cosplayed as Moiraine for the first three episodes, so I don't know what she wants. <laughs> I mean, you got a woman with long dark hair riding on a horse. They all kind of look the same. Yeah. I do how like like how she says, ah, the slowest possible way. Right. <laughs> yep. I've I've seen people be like, why didn't she just travel? Why didn't she just skim? Blah blah blah. Like, so you have to know where you're going to travel. Also, you have to know where the people are. Yeah. Yeah. She And I don't think she's ever been to Tarvalon. Like, she doesn't actually know Tarvalon well enough to travel there. Yeah, It's hard to travel when you don't know the world anymore. Right. She, she just woke up from her blood nap, so. Yeah. So, like, and also, I do think she still wants to present as something as an, of a normal person to Rand. I mean, that ship has sailed, but she doesn't necessarily know that yet. Until she finds the woman who Moiraine had like taken the horses from. I do think Lanfear at this point is like still hoping that she can get Rand back on her side and be like, oh, like, uh, you know, just a little light stab wound. We all walk away from that and in a day, it's fine. <laughs> so like, I think there's a lot of reasons for her to have not just traveled. She can't. I mean, she can't. I mean, she could, but she can't. She doesn't know any locations. Right. Exactly. So we see Moiraine and Rand uh, pop out of the bushes, essentially, after Lanfear rides past. And Moiraine does give Rand a little bit of an explanation that she uses her her line that she has clearly practiced, that they've set the Dark One's strongest lieutenant free. And Ishama is freeing all the other Forsaken, and he started with Lanfear. And Rand does seem like a little bit dazed, a little bit properly yeah. freaked out by this. Uh, he's not like super bothered. <laughs> not as bothered as he should be, considering he banged her for three months. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would be a little bit more concerned. And I was all—I also have in my notes like, are they going to walk back to Carrion? Which I guess they do. Is that possible? I mean, it's clearly possible, but... Kyrian from Kinslayers? Yeah, it would take, like, a couple of weeks, probably, but... I... It's not... Kinslayer's dagger's not that far from Kyrian, so... Yeah, I also don't know how far they went on the horse before they ditched. It, yeah, I mean, they could have they could have been on the, the most southern side of Kinslayer's dagger, for all we know, so it's just kind of like one of those things of... They're in this general area, which is northeast of Kyrian. Yeah. 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 And they could have been at the southmost point of the region. So who's to say? I mean, we know there's a portal stone out there. There's portal stones everywhere in, in that portion of uh, Randland. If they were coming down from the dagger, they would have had to have gone around Carrion to get the Tarvalon. So they might have ditched on the road that cuts off the Carrion. And that's where she passes them. Yeah, that makes sense. Sticking with Lanfear, then she comes across the woman who was with Rand and Moiraine, who Moiraine commandeers the horses from, and she does seem like she wants to make sure that she knows Rand's motivation. Like, she specifically questions the woman, like, okay, who had this plan for you to, like, take the horses and go? Was it him or was it her? And she does seem pleased that Rand is still, like, in a daze. And she says, like, oh, he's still very young. I have to remember that. It's like, yeah, honey, he's not 3,000 3, years old like you are. <laughs> like, he's 20. 21, maybe. Like, cut the boys some slack. <laughs> then she sews the woman's mouth together so that the woman won't tell on her. Yeah. I, I promise I won't talk. Of course you won't. You definitely will not. I thought she was going to explode her head, too. Yeah, honestly, like, this woman got off. Did this woman or the man have the worst fate? I don't know. I guess you could eventually cut the mouth open. Ugh. Okay, the man had the better fate. I would rather just have my head blown off. See, I like how they're handling, like, the, the weaves that Lanfear can do because, you know, even as book readers, 
it, it's it's very much like I I saw probably probably the amount of uh, comments I can count on one one hand of people going, how did she do that with the one power? And it's just like, come on, man, she's a forsaken. There are so many weaves that are just lost to time that she knows, and it just kind of puts that little bit of mysterious nature into her because she knows a lot of stuff that even we as the readers didn't know in the books. Yeah. Also, if we go back to our theory of where they're not having Simrog, this is the kind of stuff that Simrog did. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Plus, like, so A, that's it's book accurate that the Forsaken just know a lot more weaves than people do in the, what are we, in the Third Age? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, the show has established as well. Like Moiraine says to Lan, like they can do things with the one power that like we can't even imagine. And the show has already established that like Ishamael shielded slash stilled slash gentled Moiraine with the wave of a hand, and it would normally take eight Aes Sedai to do that. So like the show is being consistent with itself, which is almost more important than being book accurate. Mm-hmm. But it's also book accurate. So. To anybody who says that, again, go read the books again. Like, read the books again, then come back and we can talk. Um, Let's see. The other, like, person who the beginning of this episode really focuses on is Perrin. Mm -hmm. This is a very Perrin-heavy episode. And I'm glad because I'm finally starting to like what they're doing with Perrin. So I clearly we just needed more Perrin time. Yes. Perrin, Hopper, and Elias are on the road. We get more discussions of the wolf powers from Elias. Talking about the eyes changing. Mm-hmm. Elias says that he misses beer. I liked that. I know. <laughs> I wrote that down too. So he's like, do you miss anything about civilization? He's like, I miss beer. Perrin mentions that it's tough to drink alone. And Elias says that he's never alone. And the pack is around him, which is very sweet. No, I love that. Very, very sweet. Although the pack probably can't drink beer. I don't think beer is great for wolves. I've seen dogs drink beer. Is it good for them, though? It, it didn't say it was good for them, but I've definitely seen it's not really good for us either. I suppose that's fair. We are technically poisoning ourselves every time we drink alcohol. <laughs> that is a fair his, point. His dad takes a swig of his beer. <laughs> Having, I drank a lot over the weekend, and I, uh, yes, can can personally attest to <laughs> it, is, it is a poison. <laughs> Perrin is able to pick out that they're outside of Atuan's mill and that they're not following the caravan. And he gets real pissed at Elias for this. Mm-hmm. He does his like, I don't know why I find this really cute from Marcus, but he does the like growl thing where he like tries to like hover over. And yeah. he's like, we're not going where we said we were. You can't scare Elias. He cannot because the wolves are all like, they, they start to like close around Elias and Perrin realizes he is significantly outmatched. He's outnumbered and outgunned. Mm-hmm. Oh, the thing that actually pisses off Perrin is that Elias says that none of the two rivers people, none of the Shinarans were Perrin's pack, including Layla. Including his wife. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> like, Layla's so not your pack. She doesn't even exist <laughs> in the book. She doesn't exist. We can just forget about her now. She technically exists in the book. Technically. And, and as one line. But still, it, it is technically a real character in the Wheel of Time that they took that one thread and they just go, we're going to do something with that. It was a name. It wasn't a character. Let's get that clear. It was a name. Yeah. A name. That's all. It was a name. If I got to know her better, I probably would have married her, is what Perrin said. If we had gotten to know her better, we would have given a shit. 
that there's our one swear word for the episode. Not wrong. <laughs> As you can see, I'm still irritated about Layla, and I'm still irritated about how the show is trying to force her on us. I'm like, I don't care about her. No. Should have let that ring float. <laughs> Should have let it float. Should have let that ring float. I could not agree more, Thad. But this pisses Perrin off. Uh, Perrin would be really mad at all of us. Um, and he would walk away from us. <laughs> Sorry, Perrin. Yeah. He would walk away from us the same way that he walks away to Elias from Elias. Mm-hmm. He does it seems like he's walking away from Atuan's mill and like trying to like sniff his way to follow the group, the like the caravan. And we finally see him sniffing. I was so excited about this. Like obviously these episodes had been written and shot and everything. But I was like, yes, you took note. <laughs> like yeah. like you he did the sniffing. I will say H- Hopper. When he's watching Perrin walk away, and he's just like, hmm. and I'm just like, oh, it's so sad. Yeah, Hopper, Hopper loves Perrin. It's really sweet. Um, and Hopper does follow him. He loves him so much that he follows him as like and leaves the rest of the pack behind as Perrin is like trying to find people. Perrin sniffs out that they left Uno's body in a cage. Yeah. And I think at this point he figures out it's back at a Tuin's mill or Hopper tells him. Hopper tells him. He Hopper is trying to, he comes up behind him and he's like doing the, the lassie thing. Like, you know, you come here and Hopper's like, Mm-mm-mm, and shows him Uno's body lying in the street. And that's when Perrin's like, oh, oh, okay. Mm. We have to go bury him. Yeah. Um, my other note for this scene is that they have yellow VFX on Hopper's eyes for this, which I really did not like and did not think was necessary. And it looks weird. I didn't notice that. I noticed that, like, I, his eyes did look off color, but I, 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 just, I didn't think anything of it, really. It's like, I think it's to show, like, oh, Hopper is using his wolf powers, but I'm like, Hopper's a wolf. But he's a wolf. <laughs> like, I don't, need to, I don't need proof that he's using his wolf powers. He's a wolf. Wolves don't, don't have you blue eyes, like... The dogs do, do they? Like yellow eyes? I think they have yellow eyes, which is the, maybe that's what they were trying Well, because they, yeah, they did a like, yeah, I don't know. It didn't work for me. Yeah. I was like, we don't need this. Like, this just looks a little bit funky. <laughs> yeah. Then um, at Hopper's, or, 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 or uh, oh my gosh, I'm getting my characters confused. Perrin tells Hopper that he will go back, but Hopper has to stay, which, yes, protect Hopper at all costs. <laughs> yes. For, yeah. Uh, <laughs> for now. Protect him, show. <laughs> Protect him. Protect the best boy. <laughs> I have some bad nope, news for nope, you. Nope. This is a different turning of the wheel. Maybe things will turn out differently. It might be okay. It might be all fine. We're just going to live in that universe as long as we can. It'll all be okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> no, did the dog die? No, did the dog die warnings for the show, please. Please and thank you. The Nile is a river in <laughs> Egypt, by the way. Yep. And it's apparently where we're living. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Happy to live there as long as possible. <laughs> Perrin sneaks back into a Tuin's mill and find finds Uno's body in a cage, which he grabs a hammer to decide to break him out. Grabs a hammer. Yes. Yes. A hammer. A hammer. You have to emphasize that he picked up the hammer. He does pick up the hammer. He uses it as a tool. Mm-hmm. The constant Perrin struggle. <laughs> and he is stopped by an Aiel woman who says that that's going to be really loud. She makes a great point. Uh-huh. And we know who this is. Uh, super excited to see her, but the show has not yet introduced her, so we will we will bury this a little. She tells him not to be too loud, Wetlander. Yes, yeah, which is how you immediately know that she is Aiel, uh-huh. and she's wearing the the shufa shufa shufa. I don't know. Thank you. I've always said shufa. I think I've said shufa too. Pronounce it however you like. The work clothes. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. And then Perrin is like kind of walking up to her. He's confused. He's like, this is a woman in a cage. This is really weird. And then a helpful man stops Perrin from getting too close and gives her some water instead. Yes, helpful man. <laughs> helpful, helpful unnamed man uh-huh. um, who seems, you know, friendly enough for a random stranger. Mm-hmm. A little too clean shaven, if you ask mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he like tries to befriend Perrin is like hey come to the inn with me like you know I'll get you a drink and as they're walking he recognizes that Perrin's ring is from the two rivers and he starts calling him two rivers which I think is a kind of adorable nickname <laughs> yeah didn't he say he had two rivers clothes on or something like that and I'm just like it's funny because in the books everybody was like the, the two rivers was like this alien nation that was so far in the woods that nobody knew about it but everybody knew about their tobacco that's for sure I think he's because Perrin is wearing Shinar and armor. I th- and then the show does a close up of Perrin's wedding ring, which he should have let float because then he wouldn't have been ID'd as from the two rivers. I, I'm pretty sure the show is trying to say that this man recognizes Perrin's ring as from the two rivers. He also asks why the Iowa woman is in the cage and Dane, oh, sorry, this man, strange man that we don't know. Tells him not to worry about it. Yeah, he's basically like, she was in the wrong place at the wrong time, which seems like a really shitty reason to put a person in a cage, but okay. It really does. I mean, this village did just get sacked by the the Sean Chan, so I I almost don't blame them for being like, strangers, screw you. I also think the next part is really hilarious. This little yappy dog just comes running out of the inn and just (laughs) jumps on Perrin like, hey, happy to see you. It's so cute. (laughs) And the poor innkeeper is like, I don't know why she's like this. And it's like, we do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Perrin knows. Yeah. Um, and Perrin in this manner is just like chatting and like having a good time, kind of like shooting the shit. And then Perrin like sees a white cloak mm-hmm. behind him and then also realizes that the man who he's talking to is a white cloak and understandably is not thrilled about being surrounded by white cloaks, given what happened yes. to him last time. He starts to become a little wary of this man. Yeah, he's like, um, I'll take my room. Thanks. Bye. It was nice talking to you. And then Perrin goes up, it gets to his room. And uh, he like talks to the innkeeper a little bit about like, hey, what's been going on? Like, you weren't the innkeeper when I was here like a week ago. And the innkeeper says that the woman had left to follow the Sean Chan because they took her granddaughter and also says that being under the Sean Chan is better than being under white cloak occupation. Book accurate. Also a tough look for the white cloaks. <laughs> uh-huh. He's like, it wasn't too bad once you just swore the oath. They swear the oaths and they leave you alone, which is very book accurate. Mm-hmm. That the Sean Chan are actually like decent uh, rulers when they're not being really intense and enslaving people. Uh, well, there's a decent would be maybe not the right word, but life is okay as long as you don't go against the grain. Yes. To the average non-channeling citizen, especially in the West, the Sean Chan are, like, are actually like stabilizers. Mm-hmm. They just also enslave people. So again, to be clear, the Sean Chan is, they're massively messed up as a society. And I do not, what they do is not okay. Yeah. Like, like in the Empire, there's probably a lot more under the surface where if you're not 100% on board, then things aren't so good for you too. We just never got to see that. Yeah, absolutely. It is a, um, it's an interesting, like, shade of gray that I think Robert Jordan is, like, exploring really well in the books. Mm -hmm. Not sure if Brandon Sanderson quite explores it in the same way, but as we've discussed before, I just have quibbles with a lot of the stuff that Brandon Sanderson does when it comes to, like, nuance in the last three books. Be prepared for a future episode about such topic. Yes. (laughs) 
But, like, I think it is interesting that, like, Robert Jordan was always fascinated not by, like, evil and good and, like, these dichotomies, but the, like, gray middle area. And the Sean Chan are, like, the biggest exploration of that. So I liked the show kind of, like, leaning into that a little bit of being like, yes, these people are horrific. Like, the practices that they have are horrific. And you should be scared of them. But they're not, maybe not all bad. Unlike the white clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Especially Eamon Valda, who Perrin sees... Outside of a window, um, and he, Amonvalda, like, chastises uh, this man who we learn is Dane Bornhold, the son of Geofram Bornhold, who, if you are a show-only person, shows up for one episode. He's the guy who's not a total jerk to Moiraine and Lan and the Emmonsfield Five when they're on the road. Yeah. It's wild at how, like, decently seeming Jeffram is as a white cloak. Compared to Valda? Yeah. Yeah. Valda is, like... Pure evil incarnate in the white. Well, I mean, he's a questioner. They, they, they're just. He's more than that, but yes. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you, whenever you see the crook on the white uh, cloak's uh, cloak, you know to seal your mm-hmm. lips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like as like we got last season, this season, like we see again with Dane, where like the questioners are just—they're not liked. They're not liked by anybody, and they're definitely not liked even amongst the white cloaks. So. Oh, no, it's like say the wrong thing among the white cloaks and the questioners take mm-hmm. you and you may not yeah. ever be seen again. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I loved Valda's costuming now because he's wearing so much more armor. He's wearing a high-collared cloak. Like, I think he's trying to either, like, hide his scars or, like, protect himself from any rogue wolf attacks. And even Dane is like, be careful. Or, like, don't worry. And then there's no wolves around here. Well, yeah, because the dog starts barking. Yeah. But he's like, oh. Don't worry, it's just a dog, not a wolf. No wolves here, which I think is really funny. <laughs> yeah, especially considering the wolf is waiting on yeah, Right? <laughs> like, Hopper's ready. <laughs> he is ready to go. Did we ever hear um, Jeffram Bornhold's name in season one? I don't think so. I don't think so either. We did not. He was just distinct enough visually. Yeah. yeah you would have only known if you looked in the x-ray. But to have the line be of, like your father's name won't protect you forever. I was like, I feel like this would land more if we actually like had learned who his father was as in had his dad like named. I'm guessing we will. I'm sure we will. Considering what's coming. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to learn who he is eventually. Yeah. I'm assuming he's going to, he'll be in future episodes this season, I would think. At least briefly. One would hope considering the implication. Yes. Yeah. Do we want to keep going with Perrin and Avienda stuff, or do we want to save that for later? Why don't we just go ahead and finish out that whole block? Okay, cool. Perrin, in the middle of the night, like gets up and is like, I'm going to sneak away from Matuan's mill because I don't want to be anywhere near White Cloaks, which I cannot blame him. <laughs> and he... Then he like real he remembers that like there was that woman in the cage. He goes back and he decides to free her, mm-hmm. which he is kind of loud about it, but not as loud as he could have been. Yeah, he grabs. It's not quite a hammer. It's like a um. What's the word that I want? It's a, like a chisel hammer. It's got like a um. It looked like a hammer to me. It's got like a V edge to it, like you would use to like chisel into the side of a mountain. It's uh, I think it's just a blacksmith's hammer. Okay. He does. Then he uses a hammer again and frees her. And she's very, like, she's, like, bemused by this. She's like, so one wetlander put me in a cage and another takes me out again. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And she really takes her sweet time getting out of this cage. I'm like, girl, come on. You, you got white cloaks around. Like, hurry it up. <laughs> they're not. They're, they, ain't, they ain't nothing for her. No, clearly not. She introduces herself. We get the full introduction, her Avienda's full name and her sept and everything. 
Avienda of of the I can't. It's something of the Tarad. The Tardot. Tarad, I think. She's the the Tardot of the cold water ship. Is she cold water? Yes. Cold water? Yeah. I think she's cold water. And then Faraday is my. So we get our first Faraday is my mention by name. <laughs> and Perrin's like, uh, I'm Perrin Ibarra. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like hi. Nine Valleys Sept, by the way. Oh, Nine Valley Sept. Sept yes. Yeah. And they're like, he's like, okay, like we should go. Um, and then as they're trying to walk away, a bunch of white cloaks walk up and surround them. Um, and Perrin initially is like trying to protect Avienda, and she just laughs at him. She's like, no. Yeah, she laughs and is like, Perrin Ibarra, do you like to dance? And then pulls up her veil. Pulls up her veil and just proceeds to wreck the bulk of these white cloaks. Like, right. I think she takes out like, I think there, I didn't actually count, but there's something like 10 of them. I'm pretty sure she takes out eight of them. And Perrin takes out like two. Yeah. <laughs> Dane is like, Dane is part of this. This is clearly his contingent of white cloaks. He's watching his men get their, get absolutely the snot kicked out of them. Mm-hmm. I will comment that when he was telling them to approach her and attack all at once, he made a point of telling his men, don't go separately and she'll kill you all individually. All attack her at once. Yep. Which they, they kind of do. They did. Yeah. They try. They do their best. They tried. They didn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help at all. Um, we see more like Aiel, just like great like Aiel women fight choreography. It's not quite as good as episode as the cold open um, in season one. Oh, God. No. The blood snow was just amazing. Yeah. But like Avienda's actress is not a stunt actress the way that... Um, Shail was. Yeah. Yeah. So like... Just just different caliber of fight. It also wasn't like the $10,000 camera that they used. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> they wanted to make the blood, so, blood snow like sing, and that scene sings. This is this is not quite as good, but it's still awesome. Yes. Avienda looks amazing. I love when she like gets, uh, like white cloak comes from behind, another one tries to rush her, and she kicks one white cloak and then like flips over the other one and like puts her thighs around his head and then like throws him down. Ugh. I was like, yes, babe. Yes, go. Go off. She looks so good. Yeah. She, yeah, she fights a bunch of them, bests them. Dane eventually finally decides to not take his own advice and tries to fight her one-on-one. And he's holding his own for like a second. And then she disarms him, throws him to the ground and almost kills him. But then Perrin is like, no, stop. Like he gave you water. He's helped us. And Perrin's eyes have gone yellow at some point in this fight, like they always do when he's in high-stress situations now. Mm-hmm. And Dane sees that and sees Avienda, and he's like, what are you? Um, and then they run away. If you haven't caught on at this point, Avienda is basically replacing Gaul. Yes. Yeah, for this scene. Um, I hope we get Gaul at some point, because we're clearly getting Bane and Shiad, and Gaul, Bane, and Shiad are like a trio. I know. You you have to have Gaul if we're going to have Bane and Chiad. Who are Bane and Chiad going to make fun of and poke fun at if not Gaul? It has to be Gaul. Perrin, maybe? I mean, everybody else, but... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, he has to be there. I guess I can see like he isn't as necessary as a character without them, but maybe they'll have somebody that comes in and does as Gaul for that part. I just hope so, because that's just... I love that. Yeah, I hope so. I I think it's fine to introduce Avienda now so that like we have all three uh we have Rand and his three girlfriends all at Falm and he meets all of them together. But I really I do hope we get Gaul. Mm-hmm. It's also a great byline to get Perrin to Falm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, as we see in the next scene, my favorite show only dynamic so far is Rand's future girlfriends flirting with his best friends because we have Min flirting with Matt <laughs> and we have Avienda flirting with Perrin. Oh. And I'm like loving this. 
I am only slightly upset that she didn't ask him to play a game of Maiden's Kiss. I know. I have in my notes that Perrin is not down to play Maiden's Kiss, apparently. <laughs> oh my <God>. Unlike Matt. <laughs> Which, yeah. Which is a little bit further down after the, all of the fight when they're talking around the fire. Yeah. They're camping. Avienda, like, there's just, like, a clear cultural disconnect between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And Hopper's back. Yeah. Hopper's back. He's getting his little raw meat. Looks great. <laughs> Uh, happy as a clam. We get introduced to Jeito, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. which Avienda says she has towed to him for saving her life, mm-hmm. and says, "My water is yours." And Perrin looks her up and down, like, "Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> what does that mean?" <laughs> no, 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 thanks. <laughs> yeah, and she laughs at him. She like picks up immediately on what he's thinking, and she's like, "I'm not going to attack you in a fit of lust. <laughs> like, you're fine." <laughs> Oh, and he's just like, hee hee hee. Yep, yep. She makes him so uncomfortable. I find it hilarious. Yeah. This is the best pair up of the season so far to me. Yeah. yeah. Like, by far. It's hard to top Min and Matt, but yeah, uh, this is just hilarious and cute. Well, I mean, in the in the unfortunate, like, that in this episode, we got zero Matt or Min. Yeah. Yeah. I think next episode might be a heavy Matt episode, hopefully. It will, because... If I had to guess, well, we can talk about that at the end of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. So should we go and go back and talk about the other contingent? The Wonder Girls? Well, there's the Wonder Girls, but there's also Varen. Oh, yes. We should talk about Varen. Yes. Because this is the part I love. Go for it. Go for it, doll. (laughs) So we're back in the streets of Tarvalon, and there's a lady riding a horse that's cloaked. And then we see her go into the building and take off her cloak, and it's Varen. And she's in the libraries of Tarvalon, two brown sisters, one of whom is also a little person. I'm loving the diversity of the casting here. Mm-hmm. And she is Naomi, which I don't know if there's a Naomi in the books. And the other one's Yasika. Yasika. So Yasika is played by Katie Leung. So if she looks familiar to anybody, she's Cho Chang in Harry Potter. I knew she looked familiar. Yeah. yeah I was like, I, when we were watching, I was like, is that Cho Chang or is, am I just assuming that every Scottish, Scottish Asian girl is Cho Chang? But then I looked her up and I was like, no, that's Cho Chang. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, they welcome her in and they're asking her about her history of the world after the breaking. And she says everything's going well. And she offers them wine from her sister and begs them for gossip and they start passing the wine around and drinking from the bottle and I'm like my god have they met the browns from tarvalon.net because this is literally what we do I I loved how much they were just like we just want to drink and gossip and also be nerdy like it's so cute <laughs> Entirely what we do. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yasuka is an ancient brown Aes Sedai who Egwene quotes at one point during her training. So I don't know about Naomi, okay. but Yasuka, Yasuka is a book name. So that's interesting. I think Naomi is just a brand new character for the show. Neither of them are actual characters that appear in the books, but no. No. And, and if they do, they're probably like mentioned once yeah. by name somewhere. Mm-hmm. I had to Google both of them, so. Yeah, so should we continue with them or should we go to the Wonder Girls? Because there's a little bit. Let's continue with them. Okay. Well, well, they're kind of related. We can. Yeah. Hmm. So Varen goes to Shiriam's office and she's there and she makes a comment of the the novice is dusting her switches and Varen comments on them, (laughs) which I I thought was an interesting touch. Yeah. And she wants to talk to her about Nynaeve and Egwene. And she says they're very busy. Varen says they aren't in their classes or in their rooms, and Elaine is also missing. 
Sherian should have noticed that Elaine was missing because Sher- uh, like Elaine is supposed to be getting penance from Sherian every morning. Yeah, you would think. Sherian just is so confused. She's like, well, I don't know. And she looks in this book and it says, it seems like they were signed out to go to Camelin for a brother's name day ceremony. Uh, Farron is like, mm, and then she's like, okay, well. She's like, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? <laughs> but then she changes the subject to a book that she wanted that, uh, it was a book on Tetsuin or by Tetsuin. I think it's a book on Omerlins in general because it's like meditations on the kindling flame. So I think it's a book on Omerlins. I and mean, she wanted to like, oh, yeah. A passage on Tetsuin. You're right. Yeah. And Shiriam apparently has it. She says, oh, it's in my rooms, and they leave. At which point, Yasuka comes in and sneaks up to the novice book and goes, hmm, and flips through until she sees the, the passage. And then we're back in the library, and her and Baron are talking, and she tells them that she has an eidetic memory, mm-hmm. and while there was the, the passage was in the book, there was something weird about it, and she scribbles it down, and you can see where it looks like the hand is shaking, and she's like, it's almost like she was being forced to write it. And Varen's like, it's almost like she was being forced by compulsion. And Yasuka's like, oh, that's a forbidden weave. That would mean the Black Aja exists. Yep, we get our first mention of the Black Aja. Yes. This is going to be the Black Aja hunting plotline. Yes. Which I'm I'm so happy for this to be Varen's plotline instead of also giving this to the Wonder Girls. Like, maybe the Wonder Girls will get it from her later, but, like, we need someone competent to be on this plot early on. Maybe. Also, I appreciate that they used eidetic memory instead of saying photographic memory. Well, yeah, they don't have photographs. Yeah. Didn't you just talk about eidetic memory last episode? Did, did we? We did. Yeah, we, I think you, you specifically mentioned it that. I was like, oh, hey. Oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> Apparently, I don't have eidetic memory of that. <laughs> <laughs> they also mentioned um, that they were going to Gawain's name day com- or name yeah name day birthday celebration or whatever and i was like ugh, <laughs> couldn't we have not had gawain in the show i'm so annoyed that we have gawain confirmed in this world i'm so not excited for gawain <laughs> yeah she also says that she's gonna need a list of names of all the Aes Sedai who've left and returned or returned to the tower in the last three days which you know means it's, it's going to lead her to Leandrin because Leandrin has definitely left the tower. Yeah, well, I think we could go back to that after we go through the Wonder Girls. Because oh, I was just I was just about to do that. Okay, good. Because earlier in this episode, we see Leandrin with the Wonder Girls in the ways, <laughs> and the Wonder Girls are tied up and unconscious. Nynaeve returns to consciousness a little bit and like has this conversation with Leandrin. And is like, what have you done to us? Leandrin says that they're all shielded and bound. And Leandrin, like Nynaeve basically like figures out Leandrin's plot. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that as Nynaeve is coming to, Leandrin says, I'd tell you not to struggle, but... Mm-hmm. And just shrugs. Yep. And then Nynaeve struggles immediately. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Classic Nynaeve. Leandrin, or Nynaeve is confused that Leandrin could break the three oaths um and Leandrin says that she's broken many more than that which is so true yes but Leandrin also talks about the origin of the three oaths that there's this great king that was like trying to take over or trying to like take down the tower who is this king I could not remember I know it's someone important but I couldn't remember which important ancient king it was um is it Hawking would have Hawking yeah Hawking Okay. I think I think he was the only one that tried to siege the tower. Okay. Yeah, because he's the one that united the lands under one banner. And he is Luther Paindrag's father. 
right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I think it's ironic that Lanfear like mentions this and is then bringing the Wonder Girls to (laughs) the like children, the like ancestors of or the the offspring of Luther Pendragon. Yeah. It works. Totally works. Yeah. I didn't even make that connection. (laughs) Yeah. I've like clearly the like hawking hawkwing like family not respecting Aes Sedai is genetic and generational uh because the Shanchan don't respect the Aes Sedai <laughs> as we see when Leandrin like Maroth Demone yeah, yeah. Uh, she leaves the ways I do want to point out one more thing before we get out of there mm-hmm. when the Nynaeve is talking to her she makes a statement and says you were not recruiting me for the bread Aja were you mm-hmm. and Leandrin just smiles yep which is our theory, what we were discussing last mm-hmm. uh, episode three, I think. Yeah. That, yeah, Leander definitely is uh, trying to, has been trying to recruit Nynaeve for the Black Aja. And she says that, like, it would make what's going to happen to you easier <laughs> going forward. Not, not great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not great for them. Uh, so Leandrin, like a little while later in the episode, Leandrin opens a way gate outside of Falm and takes the Wonder Girls who she has back unconscious on, on the backs of horses and leads them to Suroth and Suroth's contingent of uh, soldiers and uh, Soldam and Demane. And they have a super interesting confrontation. Mm-hmm. Leandrin was clearly expecting to meet Ishamael there, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> um, and... Like, she is pissed at seeing, like, Demane and Soldan. She's, like, super offended by by seeing them. Mm. And Suroth then, like, threatens to leash Leandrin. And Leandrin is like, no, no, I'm going to make you kneel to me. It's funny because that's kind of how the, the whole confrontation went down in the books, except Leandrin wasn't looking forward to seeing Ishamael. She knew she was going to meet Suroth to hand the girls mm-hmm. off to her. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of the same interaction except for that kind of throw in line of I was hoping to meet Ishamael. Yeah. And normally I feel like in most shows this would just be like, oh, classic like bad guys can't get along, blah, blah, blah. But this is like actually like a culture clash. Like even if they were not both dark friends, like they would hate each other. In fact, they probably wouldn't speak at all. The fact that they are both bad guys is the only reason that they are interacting in the first place. Yeah. That Leandrin, very irritated at Saroth, is like, oh, yeah, I'm sure things will go great for you. And then unshields the Wonder Girls. I'm a, I think she heals a little bit of their head trauma to help them all wake up at the same time. And unties Nynaeve's bonds. Yeah, I was going to say, and she also cuts Nynaeve's bonds. Yep. And, like, as she's leaving, go, goes back through the way gate. See you later, alligator. Yeah. <laughs> yep. She's like, peace, not my problem anymore. Uh, goes back through the way gate. The girls all wake up and, like... I think they're like, Nynaeve do something. I don't understand why Nynaeve is not angry enough to channel, but she's not angry enough to channel. They were they were already awake when she cut the bonds to at least at least Nynaeve. Because she Yeah. She only cut the bonds to Nynaeve. Everybody else was still tied. Yeah. Yeah, she cut the bonds to Nynaeve. They exchange a very heated look. Le- Leandrin basically just shrugs her shoulders and walks through the way gate, and that's when then I think Egwene throws an attack at mm-hmm. The yeah, it's Elaine. Elaine throws the first attack, like, and then because she doesn't need her hand, yeah. And then, like, they all stand up and they start running away. And Egwene is the one who like blocks the Demane attack, which is ultimately why she ends up getting captured. Because while Nynaeve and Elaine are running, mm-hmm. then they drop a like fiery explosion in the ground in front of her and cut her off. Yeah, Elaine and Nynaeve get away and realize that Egwene is not with them. And are like, oh, shoot. And then we see Egwene on the ground being bound by weaves of air. Yeah. 
Um, and we know what's coming. And I was very upset. Yes. <laughs> um, Elaine and Nynaeve, we find a little bit later, uh, have somehow f- joined a desert caravan into the city of Falm um, at nighttime. And uh, Elaine is really displaying her, like, knowledge of the world that she must have learned, like, as a princess, because uh, she knows exactly where they are. She has, like, don't get kidnapped 101 knowledge, which <laughs> Nynaeve really should have listened to. <laughs> right? <laughs> guess guess it helps having the daughter heir of Andor there. Only if you listen to her, which Nynaeve is physically incapable of doing. <laughs> Nynaeve is physically incapable of listening to anybody. It's true. Like, she's like, don't order me around. And I'm like, no, Elaine is like literally trying to have you not get kidnapped. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't seem to matter though, because uh, a guy sees them, follows them down an alley, um, and throws them into a wall. So, more head trauma for the Wonder Girls. Really, really hoping someone has concussion protocol <laughs> for these poor girls. <laughs> oh, that was you that said that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like somebody said. I hope the yellow Aja has. <laughs> that was me. I watch a lot of football and soccer. So. Yeah, I, well, I mean, you can't just knock somebody like out like that and not cause head trauma. I, you just can't. For real, you can't. I also, given that we now know, we learn at the end of this episode that this was a yellow Aja warder. Mm-hmm. I really don't feel like he needed to do this. I don't either. Why didn't he just go up and and say, you know? I know you're from the tower, or I guess they probably would have been suspicious. But he could have gotten his eyes to that and had her do it. Like they could have, they could have pincer moved them, like in the in the alley, been like, "Hey, like, yeah. you know, I'm a warder, I'm an Aes Sedai." And then she could have flashed the ring. No need to knock the the girls out. No need to hurt them more. But at least he is a the warder to a yellow Aja, so she presumably healed them. Yeah, I mean, obviously they were like cuckoo when she woke them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we if we learned anything from the books, yellow healing until Nynaeve showed up was basically just waving your hand over somebody and hoping it healed them. They can heal breakbone fever. They can probably heal a concussion. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure there will be no dire or no adverse consequences to the girls having gotten hit in the head so many times in the last like couple of days. It'll be fine. But after Leandrin leaves. She is now back at the tower, and she runs into Varen, who questions her about where she went. Mm-hmm. And she says that she was in Jereen, hunting a man who could channel. And Varen's like, oh, really? And she pulls out a thing of asparagus and asks her if she wants this white asparagus. And Ver- Varen's like, oh, this asparagus that only grows in that part of the world at that time, this time of year. How convenient. <laughs> Leandrin is really good at making an alibi. Right? Like, she was like, no, see, like, I had the asparagus. Like, <laughs> clearly I was there. <laughs> she asks her about Egwene and Nynaeve, and Leandrin's like, oh, I don't know. I, I did hear a royal convoy was attacked outside of Tarvalon, and maybe Varen should go check on that. And, and Varen doesn't seem very convinced. Nope. Leandrin is like, we have to go tell the Keeper. So, you know, more Leandrin harassing Leanne. Again, <laughs> Leanne's going to be like, girl, I'm going to kick you out of this tower if you keep bothering me. <laughs> yeah, Varen seems very unconvinced by all of Leandrin's lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As she should be. Yes. Oh, um, I totally wanted to talk about whether or not we thought Shiriam was actually under compulsion when she wrote that down. I don't know. Because, well, we know. Well... This gets into heavy book spoilers talking about it. We've already spoiled that. I know, we're way past that. We spoiled that in episode one. She's Black Aja. Mm-hmm. We know that the Black Aja is very fractured. Oh yeah, no, they they have different cells and everything in the tower. And 
like they only know two people. So Leandrin might have compelled her. Without realizing that she didn't need to. Yeah. Because I have a feeling that Sherian, well, actually, we know in the books that Sherian and Leandrin are not part of the same set. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, I I thought that was possible. The person who I now think that, so I know everyone was like, oh, Leandrin is going to be Elida, blah, 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 blah. Elida is confirmed. Again, Elida is confirmed. The person who I think that Leandrin is actually going to be is Masana, who is the Forsaken who's in the tower, who compels everybody. She's Alviarin's boss. And like Masana is also not name dropped, name dropped in the show. So I think Masana is also not going to be in the show. That's pretty sound logic at this point in the TV show. Yeah. You're saying she's just taking over that yeah that little that like little thread of what's going on inside the tower at least yeah yeah i think she's especially because she's also presumably the one who's at the dark friend social in the beginning in episode one and that seems to be a bunch of like really high-ranking people like we have Suroth there we have ingtar there we have pat and fame there i have a feeling that she is going to she's like gonna be the manipulator in the tower. She's the Black Ajah manipulator instead of having it be a Forsaken. I mean, she's been pretty good so far at doing it. She could also just completely take over Alviarin's position and be Keeper and then keep with the like Keeper and the um, Amarlin are from the same Ajah. Yeah. Which I like that they didn't do in the books, but... Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So that's my theory for what they're going to do with Lanfear going forward. Um, Kate Felding is doing such an incredible job with her. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that they're going to like heel turn to oh, what yeah. they do with Leandrin in the books. Like they could, but like why waste her on that? Like let her really like sit in the show for a while and like really be a big bad for a long time and cause problems. So that's that's my sincere hope. Um, if we're not going to get Masana or Samarag in the books. We still do need, like, Masana's stuff is not, she as a character is, like, not around a, a ton, but what she's doing in the White Tower is super important, so we need someone who's doing that. I mean, she doesn't even get name mentioned until, I think, like, what, book five or something like that? Yeah, something like that, but she's super active super early on. We just don't, we just don't know it. Yeah. Who was she? Was she Galena or somebody else? I don't remember who Masana is hiding as in the books. Okay. Uh, but that's that's my theory for what we're doing with Leandrin. Mm-hmm. Then the last plot line of this show, uh, or of this episode, not of the show, <laughs> of this episode, is Moiraine and Rand. They end up back in Carrion, and it's now winter in Carrion, um, or late fall. There's snow on the rooftops. We see snow falling um, as we pan back into Carrion. And Moiraine makes, in my opinion sort of a wild decision uh she takes rand to her sister's house which i'm like not my first choice to where i would take a person when the forsaken is hunting me but you know sure wearing um before they get there though on the way through the foregate they're talking about teleran rio oh yes yeah we get our first mention of teleran rio and she says that lanfear is known for two things her casual cruelty which check check shown shown which it's not something she's really known for in the books, which is sort of why we're thinking maybe she's taking over some of Simarag's stuff. Well, no, I mean, I mean, she was she Lanfear always thought herself the master of Teleron Riyod, whereas it was always. No, no, a, I'm talking about the casual cruelty. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the casual cruelty part. I hadn't mentioned the Teleron. The second part was Teleron Riyod, which she thinks of herself, even though Mogedian. Mogedian. Yeah. I was like, I, it's the other one that I always get Miss uh, Mogedian and. Masana. Masana mixed up because of the M's. Mm-hmm. But Mogedian thinks she is, but Lanfear really has the mastery that Masana thinks she has. And that is true. It's the casual cruelty part that is Simarog. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah, definitely. 
Yes. Thank you for calling that out because it is in my notes and I just totally glossed over it. Well, we've bounced around so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the reason that they're talking about Teleron Riyadh is because Moiraen is like, we cannot sleep. Like, Lanfear will find us in our sleep. Yeah, we can't go to sleep. We have to stay awake. Yeah. And Rand is like, like holy, holy crap. Yeah. Moiraen at this point, I think I saw someone do an analysis that Moiraen has been awake for at a minimum 36 hours at this point. Right. Like, let let the queen have a nap. Moiraen, <laughs> <laughs> please. I did make a, a note at one point. Long-suffering Moiraen is, is back on Veer's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Rand asks Moiraen if she can just keep them awake with the one power, and she just says no. No. No additional explanation. No. They go into Anver's house. Anver and her son are down in the kitchen, I think tasting food for the royal wedding. Yes. And Moiraen, like introduces Rand to them, although Anver is like, ah, yes. not. <laughs> but we had not met Barthanes. Yeah. Who seems like such a sweetheart? I know. This is where I think we're going to get the tie-in with Matt and Min for next episode is with the whole Baratheon, not Baratheon, um, Barthane plotline, because there's that whole scene with them going to mm. his manor for a party because they want to, they're trying to get access to the Waygate in his, like, courtyard grounds and i think that that's what's going to happen with matt and min at least or they're going to attempt to i think you're right that would make sense and then they're going to probably moiraine will be with them not 100 percent sure how they're going to open that way gate are we going to finally see a leaf show are we going to finally see the three leaf thing oh if she can't channel maybe yeah maybe but barthanes invites them both to the wedding mm-hmm. and he mentions the queen galdrian galadrian galadrian yes Galdrian. Yeah, we, we actually get a name of the queen of, of Kyrian, so. Mm-hmm. Who was a queen from thousands of no, years ago? No, so a king the from- Galdrian is a king after Lamon's death. So he is, in the books, he's the king of Kyrian after Lamon dies. Right, but that's like a couple hundred years ago, right? No, that was from the Aiel War. That's why they crossed the Dragon Wall, so. Oh, yeah, so it's like 20. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So in the show, that's canonically 20 years, 21 now, years ago. Okay, so that would make sense, but they're t- making it a queen instead of a king. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And then he mentioned something about how Moraine would be his subject, and she curtsied in the most sarcastic way possible. <laughs> She is so funny with her family. I honestly would watch an entire spinoff show of just Damodred, uh, like, or what is their last name? Damodred. Um, yeah, Damodred family dynamics. See, in- instead of the Kardashians, we've got the Damodreds. I was about to say. I would happily watch that show. Keeping up with the Damodreds. Please. Please. I would love it. I would love it. It'd be interesting. On is cool. Barthana seems like a sweetheart. Moiraine is so awkward. <laughs> I love the like math. There's like a three second pause when she's introducing Rand where she's trying to figure out a lie, non-lie of how to introduce him. And she just settles on. This is Rand. Which is a really great way to show off that she is not severed from the source. Mm-hmm. She still can't lie. She still thinks she can't lie. We have that conversation with... um, Still not confirmation. I think it is. Just because she thinks she can't doesn't mean she can't. But at that point, she's like trying to. You can like see her trying to be like, friend. She's trying to come up with an idea. She's just trying to figure out how to describe him without telling him what to say. We don't need that kind of pessimistic outview in this podcast. Now who's living in denial? Yeah, like, I think we all are. (laughs) 
I really, I'm, I just, Moiraine is not stilled. She's shielded. It's just, okay. like, my, my long-term theory is that they need Rand to learn how to take apart a shield that he can't see. And so he needs to learn that skill from somewhere. That's book five content. I think it's like seven. We stopped with the spoilers a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. We just don't know how to talk yeah. about it. <laughs> Lanfear knows, shows us how to do that in book five. Well, no reason that she can't show Rand how to do it in season two. That's, well, do you really want Lanfear to catch Rand in season two? I mean, we'll get there because she does. <laughs> She does with a plume, <laughs> but we will get there. We're almost there. Yeah. Moiraine, a little while later, goes back to her room. She's looking at her bed. Um, she can't sleep. I feel so bad for her. And then Anver comes in um, while Moiraine is like trying to clean herself off. And Anver helps her like towel herself off, essentially. And they talk. It's like, it's really, really sweet. You can also see the Trolloc scar from the wound on Moiraine, like in the mirror, which I thought was a really cool touch. Yeah. Yeah, that was a nice detail. Yeah. Moiraine, Anver says that Moiraine is lost, which is so true. And they have this great conversation where Moiraine is like, I, I've, like, she lays it all out for Anver, basically. She's like, you know, I thought I needed to protect Rand. I now feel like I can't. I have brought him here because I didn't know where else to go, but I've now put you and Barthanus in danger. And like, I don't know what to do. And Anver throws Moiraine's advice back at her um, and says like, can you know beyond any doubt that this is actually, that like, this is actually true. And Moiraine seems to come to this great conclusion of like, oh, maybe Rand doesn't need my protection. And I'm like, I think he does. Maybe a little bit. I really think he does. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Lorraine <laughs> um, seems to come to the conclusion that she and Rand don't actually have to leave Carrie in. They don't have to be on the run forever. And they don't have to stay awake. Yeah, they don't have to. They don't even have to stay awake. She goes and gets Rand, who's having playing cards with Barthanas, and is like kind of explains to him like, "Oh, Landfear could have hurt you months ago, mm-hmm. and didn't. So maybe she doesn't actually want to kill you. Maybe like." like everything says that she was in love with they call him the dragon reborn super annoying they keep doing that like loose theron is probably technically the dragon reborn no he's not but there would have been a dragon in the first age presumably no there would have been a person with his soul in the first age the dragon was loose theron's title period okay okay well it's really annoying me yes (laughs) that they're getting that wrong yeah in in the previous age he what he earned the title that was like Mm. a new thing he is the dragon and now it is he is the dragon reborn Reborn. right and they seem to just be calling rand the dragon but loose theron is the dragon reborn it's very confusing yeah i wish they would stop doing that so like she says like oh she finally explains oh yeah Lanfear was in love with Luz Theron mm-hmm. and like maybe she's in love with you too and Rand is like well I did think that she wanted me for several months but now I don't know and I'm like she probably still does Rand yeah also Rand you declared your love for her like a day ago yeah <laughs> so I think you probably still want her too I don't think you heel turned quite that hard yeah I mean, because Moraine's the one that did it, and then they ran off. All he has to do is claim that, Mm -hmm. you know, she manipulated him or something, and he just got away from her or something. We'll see. Yep, yep. The very next scene is the most creepiest scene in the whole show. That depends very much on who you ask. I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) Well, it is both hilarious and creepy. (laughs) It was pretty funny, because I was like, where are they going with this? (laughs) Because Rand is laying in bed. Rand is laying in bed, and it's Shamael. Starts stroking his face. It's just like very tenderly, like yeah. He, he not not only he cradles his face. Yeah, 
I'm just like, what in the world is going on? I was like, what is this? There is a joke in parts of the Wheel of Time fandom on the internet. I was telling Barry about this before the show. That every single one of the Forsaken wants Rand. (laughs) And I really appreciate that the show seems to be making that canon. I would be afraid to go on AO3 right now and look up Rand slash... (laughs) Slash Landfear because uh, (laughs) the threesome is implied. (laughs) Barry is very empathically telling us not to do it. Don't do it. Or do or do you'll learn you'll learn some stuff that Alana was trying to teach Egwene in episode one. <laughs> I can't wait for next season where we see Lanfear bust out of a flaming carriage. <laughs> it looks like she kind of knows how to share Rand, at least with her friends in this scene. Well, uh, with men, with men, sure, okay. Except it wasn't actually Rand; it was her. It was not actually Rand. Yeah, it, we we realize it like. Very quickly, that it's Lanfear. She's wearing a ton of eyeshadow, and she has like a super short hair relative to how she actually looks. She's got her goth era. Mm-hmm. She's got like a cute bob. She kind of looks like a goth business lady. Like honestly, still looking amazing. I was gonna say she was in her manic pixie girl phase. Mm, she's not quite manic pixie dream girl. No, no. This is this is definitely like a dominatrix in the boardroom, Lanfear. <laughs> This is Simarag slash Lanfear like <laughs> mashed together. Yeah, because she's wearing like a like a, a collared like sleeping shirt, like a long sleeping shirt. I do love that they continue to have the Forsaken wear like modern day clothing, more or less, um, much less medieval looking than anything that is worn in the rest of the show. Yeah. They speak in old tongue to each other, and they're just sort of like reminiscing about the past. They make fun of this new age for having queens. And there's like so much sexual tension between the two of them, like old sexual tension. I'm like, you guys have banged. They've banged. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah. I'm just sure I would believe it. Yeah, I feel like Dark Friends maybe, I mean, not Dark Friends, but Forsaken or maybe One Giant Polycool. Maybe. Also, if anyone is going to be, it's going to be Lanfear. Yeah. Like, like she had her heart set on Luce Theron, but she's probably freaky. Well, if anybody's going to be, it's going to be Grandal. Absolutely. That's true, actually. Who we get a mention of, and I was so excited. Lanfear talks, like, Michelle like, do you know why he woke me up first? Do you know why the Dark One only talks to me? And she's like, yeah, because the others suck. <laughs> <laughs> like... Grendel is a vain idiot. Mogedian, what did she call Mogedian? Mogedian's insane. Uh, and the boys couldn't follow a plan if they were compelled to. <laughs> I was only slightly like off put that he, he called himself the, basically the lieutenant of the Dark One and not Nablus. Hey, I, they haven't quite gotten to Nablus yet in the books by book two. Were they speaking English or? When they were speaking originally, they were speaking an old tongue to each other. So I don't know if he actually said. But at that point, they had switched. Yeah, then they switched. Yes, yes. Okay, I couldn't remember. Cause yeah, it was like the first like paragraph was in old tongue yeah. and then they switched yeah. to English. Um, so this is why I've been saying this whole time. Semarag and Masana are not in, not going to be in the show at all because yeah. like Lanfear specifically calls out two of the women, the two women, the only other two women statues who we saw in season one was Grendel and Mogadian. It's pretty obvious who Grendel was. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I screamed about it. <laughs> <laughs> Mogadian's also pretty obvious. She has a spider like somewhere very prominently on her statue. Yeah. yeah. I thought we saw Semarag, but maybe not. I don't think we did i think we saw one other woman and like she had like a long neck and we were all like oh that's probably Lanfear. Mm-hmm. it's yeah. the, it's all about the slender neck yeah yeah 
I don't think we saw Samarag or Masana. I think we only saw Grendel, Lanfear, and Mogedian. I would want to go back and rewatch that scene. It's one of my favorite scenes. But um, yeah. And she just says the boys. So it'll be interesting to see which of the boy Forsaken continue to get included in the show. Obviously, Agonor and Belal. No, not Belal. Belal. Yeah, no, Bothel. Bothamol. Bothamol, yeah. Yeah, the other, those are the two I get confused. Well, because they only they were in the book for two minutes before they died. They, they're they gone. Yep. Two, two whole minutes, yeah. They basically got, they got smoked immediately. Yeah, yep. yep. and only one of them came back. Yeah, Robin has to make it. I would think so. Robin feels like he's going to be pretty important for season three. And I feel like Asmodean is as well. Asmodean was, was a statue. So I, we're definitely yeah. going to get Asmodian. If they, so, if they were talking earlier about with what they have talked about so far, Asmodian has to make an appearance to kind of teach Rand because we can't lean on Loghain forever or at all. <laughs> can't lean on. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Thad, your your theory about the seals representing the Forsaken that haven't awoken yet seems to be very accurate. Um, like the seals are all over this room, and as they are talking about who has been woken up yet and who hasn't, like either Ishamel or Lanfear like runs their hands over the seals that are in this room. Boom. It was, it was like, I, as soon as I saw a uh, season or episode one, I was just like, that's immediately what this is. Cause two are down because two are free. Mm-hmm. And we've got the rest to deal with. Yeah. I would have to go back and look at that. I did not notice. Yeah. It was right outside the dark friends. Ocean. Yeah, And then in this scene as well. Yeah. In this scene too. Well, no, that's the, what I mean, like, I, I noticed it in the, well, you, I, you pointed out last time but then they talk about rand um and a dream version of rand shows up in bed looking so sweet and unbothered um just the happiest boy uh, just so happy to be being watched over by uh ishamayel at lanfear probably not accurate to how <laughs> rand would feel in real life and they talk about ishamayel's plan for the emmons field five which lanfear feel seems very well informed about she knows that he is about to collect Egwene and Nynaeve. Um, she knows that he has some sort of plan with the boys. Mm-hmm. Ishamayel says that Matt was born his, which how dare you continue to slander my baby? What does that even mean? Right? I guess it means he's dark soul or something. Ugh. I don't I don't like that. I don't like it. I've, I hated it in season one. I hate it now. Yeah, that's... Like, maybe he's referring to the dagger and like, yeah. I don't know. I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole. It annoyed me. Um, and then he talks about how, like, oh, he's going to use the wolves to, like, manipulate Perrin to him. And once they have Rand isolated, then Rand will break and Rand will be theirs. Honestly, a decent plan. Not a bad plan by the Forsaken in the show. It's not bad. They're talking a lot more than the Forsaken in the book would. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, You know what? I, honestly, I like it a lot more that we're getting the other side of the veil a lot more in the show. Because in the books, it was so few and far between. And whenever they did meet up, they were basically at each other's throats the entire time. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, not to say they weren't here, but we're getting a lot more bad guy interaction, which is always nice. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's good to have a like villain monologue, but at other villains, like we're getting like villains like explanations of what's going on, but it is in a way that like makes sense and isn't just like I'm going to monologue at you, hero. You can't do anything. Oh shoot! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to explain in detail all my plans while you escape. Yep. 
Yeah, which, <laughs> like, I'm so glad they're not doing. Eventually, Ishamael is woken up by a Dakolf because he has to go see Turok. He goes and sees Turok and Ingtar and Loyal are there for some reason. Yeah, they were just there for some reason, yeah. It was very strange. I mean, I guess they're serving him. I guess. I don't know. It was weird. Um, it's good that they're there, though. It's going to be important for next episode. Turok is, like, starts to question Ishamael, like, where did you come from? You're not Sean Chan. And um, he mentions that Ishamael is the one who saw the omens, and which is interesting, and, like, that motivated the Sean Chan to go back west. Mm-hmm. So, cool that we're getting a, de- a mention of that super early. And then... Ishamael mentions that he doesn't actually need anything from Turok for giving him the horn. What he does need is for Turok to accept a gift from Sarath, and the gift from Sarath is Egwene. It's bad. It's tough. It's it's very rough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we see Egwene being brought in, and they explain that like she's one of the most powerful channelers that they've ever seen in like million in thousands of years. She's got this silver bag over her head. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, it's like, you know, you wrap your gifts. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) I didn't even think of it that way, but But, oh, that's kind of gross. Yeah, it's as I even as I was saying it, I was like, it made my skin crawl. I have goosebumps now. I don't like it. They take her her mask off or her whatever it is off. um, And then they collar her. I just had to like have an out of body experience for a second and be like, wow, that looks really cool. Don't think about what's happening. Don't think about what's happening. It looked really cool. It It looks so cool. Like the way that they do it is they like stick it onto your throat and then it's like the one power builds the collar and then builds the leash. And like that's how it like physically becomes a collar and a leash. And we do see actual leashes. Yeah. And I just had to think about, not think about the fact that it was happening to Egwene, my favorite character. Yeah. And that she was screaming and it clearly was hurting her. Visually, that was very well done. I actually liked it a lot, just to, despite me trying to not just to be like, oh my God, no. Yep. Poor Egwene. Yeah. This this is what I thought we were going to get at the beginning of the episode. I didn't know how I thought we were going to get there, but I did too. I mean, calling it Demane and they slap this at the end of the episode. We're gonna we're we're all going to be hurting next episode. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you guys watched this the uh, next mm-hmm. episode preview. I did. It's going to be rough. Yeah. Uh, next episode is going to be rough. Very rough. But then Rafe decided to hard pivot from uh, terribleness happening to Egwene to a genuine gift. For all Rand fans <laughs> like me, because Rand falls asleep, my Rand with with my Rand's blessing, Rand falls asleep and immediately wakes up in a dream sequence, tied to the wheel, uh, half naked. He has, doesn't have a shirt on, um, and Lanfear is sitting across from him in a throne in a full dominatrix outfit, just black, like thigh high boots, black dress, a very strange hat that looks kind of like a baby bonnet. Probably would have left that at home if I was her. Um, and she is just like, finally. <laughs> it was like a, like a crown almost. It looks weird to me. It is probably supposed to be like a crown or like Maleficent horns. Listen, I am surprised that you were even paying attention to that with a shirtless Rand bound to a wheel. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to get a lot more of that in episode six. And it was also only there for a second. Also, I think Lanfear is also hot. So like, but shirtless Rand. I'm just thank you, thank you, Lanfear, thank you, Rafe, for shirtless Rand being tied to things. <laughs> um, I have seen a couple of people online like complaining that this is like really heavy-handed symbolism, and to them, I say I don't care. He's literally bound to the wheel. What more do you want? Right. Yep. This I want exactly this. <laughs> I also want this spinoff show. And then cut to black. Yes. Cut to black. <laughs> So 
Do we want to talk about the preview at all? Yeah. Why not? So I, I only watched a, I think I only watched like half of it. I cut it off because I don't really watch previews. There's really weird. What Ivan and Maxim are trying to accuse Lan of being a dark friend. So I think that this is because they know that they saw that Rand or Rand. Jesus, I keep doing that. They saw that Lan had the poem. And they don't know why he has the poem. And so they're like, if you're sworn to Lanfear, you're not going to leave. That's what I think this is coming from. Okay, that makes more sense now. I was also thrown off at first. And then I was like, oh, yeah, but they had the poem and they read it. And they're like, why does Lan have this? Yeah, okay. Other thing I noticed was that the yellow Aes Sedai that Nynaeve and Elaine meet is giving them a bag of like some rings. Yes, I was so happy about this because remember last season where I was like, this is how they get the rings. Oh, never mind. Yes. This is how they get the rings. This is going to be so important for later on. I'm so excited that they're addressing this. Yes. Um, giving the Wonder Girls the rings that they need to go off and do all of their Wonder Girl nonsense <laughs> outside of the tower. Yeah. The other thing that we're going to see is the Soldom who's training Egwene is Rena and is played by the non-binary actor who I thought was going to play Galad, and I'm clearly wrong, but <laughs> but who is in the show, it's she, uh, Shelia Mendez-Jones, who is awesome. I'm super, I mean, clearly they're playing a woman, but like, it's cool to get non-binary actors in TV. More of that, please. We also should talk about, as we put a pin in it in the beginning, when are we going to tier? Next season. I think the approach to tier is going to happen at probably episode seven, episode eight, because I, I feel like at Jordan Con this, this year that they that Rafe mentioned that like he didn't you know he kind of heavily hinted at tier what happened this season. They were the way that they hinted at it was like they were on a set that looked like the Stone of Tear, and they were like we're gonna be here in season two, and we're also gonna be here in season three. I think that set was from Palm. Now I don't because they said they're gonna be there in season three as well. So no, we're gonna pick back up with the aftermath of fall. It doesn't make any. They did say they were gonna do books two and three in season two, and then book four in season three. The only thing I can imagine is that we're going to get a very brief introduction to Tear in episode eight, because based on the titles, the next episode is something about watchful eyes or something it's eyes without pity eyes without pity so i'm guessing this is going to be still mostly foam Mm -hmm. it's going to be more of what we thought we were going to get in this one because apparently domine was the destination and not the (laughs) (laughs) not the journey or the journey yeah because the following episode is called days de mar which is game of houses which is right which is obviously we're going back to kyrian and then we have to be in foam. So they're. Yeah. And they also like hinted again that like the battle in the sky was going to be quote unquote the last battle. I really wish the show would stop hinting at our final battle for every season is going to be quote unquote the last battle. Like, I'm like, this is annoying. I, the books did that too. <laughs> the books did, but it is a thing that they did because Robert Jordan didn't know how many books he was writing. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Like, the show doesn't need to do that. <laughs> like, the fact that Ish- I know Ishamael is the father of lies, don't rely on him as a reliable narrator. But the fact that Ishamael is the one who was like, the last battle is going to happen in the sky and blah, blah, blah. I was like, shut up. No. <laughs> I know, I know he said he didn't know how many books, but based on the outline, the end of book three was supposed to be the end of the first book. Yeah, true. So, but then that means that Tolman Head wouldn't have been the last battle anyway. Right. No, but it was supposed to be like they were setting it up. I think they set it up in a way so that they ended it there and he didn't get 
picked up for more books it would but they knew oh yeah for more books for the show though like for the show this doesn't make like they've already been like they were renewed for season three before like they even really started filming season two like they could have modified the script well you've answered your own question it's a whole un unreliable narrator situation yeah yeah it's just annoying there's that and just because you have been picked up for a third season is not the same as being greenlit for production and there are plenty of shows that have had offers for extra seasons that were dropped before production starts fair well i'm glad that's not happened a wheel of time they were in production for season three before the writer strike happened. the strike yeah and, and actor strike happened so now they're on pause but so we will see season three in about four years yeah probably <laughs> I mean, it was already going to be probably another year and a half. Yeah, so. yeah. So it'll be a while. But I do think we're going to go to the Stone of Tear this season. Maybe we end with the Aiel sacking the stone. Maybe that's like the end of episode eight. That would be super fast. I mean, but... Considering that we have to travel across the entire continent. But we have Waygates. We have Portal Stones. It could be like the way the Sean Chan showed up at the end of episode or season one. Do we need Rand and the party gang at Tier for the Aiel to be ransacking Tier? We do need him to get Kalendor. He also he has to meet the Aiel in order to have it make any sense for him to go to the waste. Yeah. I'm very um confused. <laughs> about why we are still like why it doesn't seem like we're really making major progress towards the battle on Toman Head. The battle at Toman End is going to be the end of the season. That that is I mean unless they start doing hour and a half episodes. I mean the first two episodes of the season were 70 minutes each. So mm-hmm. As was this one. Who's to say they won't take it further, you know? Yeah, they could. They totally could. We're not we're not going to get the battle on Toman Head until the last episode yeah probably but like this is what i was saying like when we were talking about season two or and they were talking about doing seasons two or books two and three together i was like toman head is what going to be what episode like my original theory was that was going to be episode six yeah yeah we all thought it was going to be the like middle of the season yeah and i was like that's a weird place to have like a weird thing to have in the middle of your season of a show because our final episode of the season is called what was meant to be yeah and that's the battle at yeah presumably so we'll see but i'm like very much like tiktok wears tear guys like we gotta we gotta get there (laughs) like quickly Mm -hmm. and like i don't really remember a lot of what happens in book three i remember it's like a lot of walking around still so to cut that out it's fine they've been cutting a lot of that out in the book two as well i I mean a lot of book three was kind of that more or less but i mean the the whole point of book three is for rand to get calendar right that is the reason of, of book three so there's no way in three episodes that we're gonna do the battle at Falm, travel all the way back across Rainland, get to Tyr. Literally the other side of the continent. Yeah, yeah. which is, yeah, literally. Yeah. And he's gonna pull Calendar at the end of the season. There's no way. I think we're gonna get a hint of it towards the end of the season, but maybe we're not gonna see it. Not yet. Yeah. 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 It would be like traveling from Seattle to Miami. Yeah. I would not be surprised if we got a kind of you know setup like with the end of season one with the whole sean chan thing of we get kind of a shot of inside the stone of tear and we see calendar that that could be that's what we're gonna get with oh yeah we're going to tear this season yes technically but not really yeah that's what i was saying earlier like it's gonna be like a a spoiler tag at the very end of the season where we just get to see something. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think we're going to see Kalendor 
and we're going to see how Kalendor looks because it's the sword that's not a sword. So I can't, I can't wait. Yeah. It's got to be crystal. It's got to be CGI. Like it has to be. Yeah. It's got to be like probably crystal made out of resin and then like CGI to like glow and flicker and look cool. Yeah. 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 I'm excited. I'm excited for Kalendor. Uh, even though Kalendor causes nothing but problems <laughs> for Rand. <laughs> nothing but problems. Until the end. Until the very end. Nothing but problems. <laughs> like you need Kalendor was the key. We do need Kalendor. Like we can't just skip it. It is essential. But with that, thank you so much for joining us on Tarvalon Talks. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to see us talk about, feel free to send us an email to producer.tvd.gmail.com. Or you can join us on Tarvalon.net. In our general forums, we have a special thread called Tarvalon Talks pinned at the top of the page. Also, chat with us via the Tarvalon.net's Discord server in the Tarvalon Talks Discord channel. Stay tuned for our next episode where we discuss episode 6 called Eyes Without Pity on season 2 of The Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. See you next time. <laughs>